This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What is up? Welcome, everybody, to the Action Network podcast. This is your football review for college football week 11, NFL week 10. Couldn't be any crazier in the NFL today with the Miami Dolphins red hot right now. The Atlanta Falcons knocking the Saints off their perch as a a team that could possibly host the entire NFC. Uh, It was certainly a very crazy weekend uh, in college football. We should start off with the voicemails. They were excellent this week. Uh, Even the ones that kind of came after me for taking a few losses. uh, It definitely wasn't actually one of the best weeks that I've ever had. Had some, you know, bad beats. I'm not going to complain about them. We'll cover them. But I think a great place to start with a podcast is your voicemails because they're fantastic. Minor Nation shows back up again. Haven't heard from those guys in a while. Almost got it to the house. Uh, But I think that we should just start right in, dive into the voicemails. They're excellent this week. Bad beats, back doors, and miracle covers. However you're feeling, we want to hear from you. You have reached the voicemail box of the Action Network Podcast. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. Let's check this week's messages. Brock Vember is in full effect. The Sooners are frauds. Their fans are frauds. Half the stadium's empty at the end of the game, but whatever. Stucky, make sure you go to the bar tomorrow, spend the whole day there, and then do your podcast because I absolutely love the rambling rants of Stucky Tech. And Colin, make sure you keep betting on UConn because they are 112th in Havoc, and Cincinnati is 113th in Havoc allowed, so therefore UConn's going to cover a 35-point spread. Nick from Long Island, New York, one thing to say, row the f***ing boat, baby! Stuck, the UMass undependent guy from last year. I really cannot believe you toggled at my heartstring with this over, under, nonsense with this garbage team. The dumpster fire does not deserve a middle shot. Good Lord, what are you trying to do to me? Just put me in my coffin now. Stop with the nonsense on UMass. Undependent forever. Adam in Los Angeles. So much fun to watch this amazing Northwestern defense all of a sudden give up a f***ing three touchdowns to Purdue, and then they drive down the field, miss a f- 20 jack yard field goal, only that Purdue come all the way to 
touchdown and kick a 40-yarder. I don't even know where to start. I'm so tilted I can't stand up straight. I look like Happy Gilmore's caddy. First of all, I guess I'll say I'm sorry, Colin. Your UConn plus 35 didn't pan out for you. I really hate that. I hope that they printed those tickets for you out in Vegas and two-ply so you could get some use out of them. Niner f***ing nation versus minor f***ing nation. I live in Charlotte, and there's a reason why I have a coupon for buy one, get one free Charlotte 49er tickets. If any D-Gen nation wants to come to Charlotte and go to a Charlotte 49ers game with me for free, get in touch with Mitch. He'll get you in touch with me, and we'll go. Just want to give a huge shout-out to our boys from El Paso and their consistent ability to find ways to lose. When I needed them most on the second half of a teaser with Texas, their quarterback goes and throws an interception for us to ensure that Charlotte wins by seven. I'm celebrating with pizza for the one fan of Minor Nation. Let's go. It's right, it's right, TJ, in Buffalo. It all started out so good today, but then I put it all down on Texas. Colin said, I'm taking Texas every way. Money line, spread, everything. Just Texas, Texas, Texas. Herman, Herman, Herman. I f***ing hope Texas never wins another god game. Oh, my God. I can't believe that last drive. He looked like he was trying to put a pin back in a grenade on a f***ing roller coaster. Oh, God. Is there any women's volleyball that I can bet tonight? All right, Colin. This is Damien from lovely Bowling Green, Ohio. Minus six units right now. What the f***, bro? You do this for a f***ing job? Come on, man. I'm just going with you on Texas. Come on, bro. Colin, this is Oscar from Chicago. You've got to be f***ing kidding me on Texas minus seven. I'm hearing all week Texas is this, Texas is that, Texas is back, whatever. Kansas State is for real. They deserve the cover. They deserve the win. Texas is not back. Colin, horrific call. Hate it. Clinton's up 39 points. They're throwing the ball. They get down to the red zone. Instead of taking a knee, they continue pushing, throwing to the end zone, and eventually running it in. Gabo's worse than James Franklin. Jesus Christ, I can't wait till Ohio State beats them by 40, and they call timeout for one extra touchdown, and they go for two. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's the Moneyline Parlay. Shout out to LSU. Shout out to Edo. Shout out to Western Kentucky. Keep getting that money. Boys, this is John from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I got to send my thoughts and prayers to Colin. Went all that way to Vegas to cash those baseball total tickets, and then he lost them all. Feel for you, bro. Tough day. Get back in the saddle. Calling in about Arkansas. You know, this is pretty upsetting. I've been here for the ups. I've been here for the downs. Um, I was on the Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, Peyton Hills. I was on that. I was there for us. I was also there for the Casey Dick days. I don't really know what's happening in Arkansas, but this Chad Morris bullshit got to go. If he's not fired in the next five minutes, I don't I don't know what else to tell you. I love Fayetteville. I freaking love Dixon Street, but Chad Morris has got to f***ing go. Ducky and Collins, BL from BR. What the f***? Collins, Arkansas is a dumpster fire. Number two, Joe Burrow is the real deal. You guys were so confused last year. Real mother 
real hyphen winner. Hey, go, Tigers. Let's go. Stuck, Colin. This is Harley from Baton Rouge, up in Portland, for my buddy's bachelor party, and Joey Funky just put it right in Alabama's hole. I cannot believe it. Money line, Alabama. Go Tigers. Suck that Tiger. Yo, Burrow is a dog. This is Kevin Collins, live from New York City. Legend, LSU, Joe, Burrow's a f***ing dog. Touching my boy, you better play this. Eight f***ing years. I told y'all two weeks ago, Joe Burrow's a f***ing dog. Played on the show on Monday. We going to the United, baby. Give it to me. All right, so that wraps it up for the voicemails. You know, I mean, look, you're going to have weekends like this. Every gambler is going to have a weekend where you're going to lose more than you're going to win. You know, if you read the article that I put out at the end of last week, things didn't pan out the way that they should. Did I know that Arkansas was going to give up uh, a billion points to Western Kentucky? I had I had a pretty good clue that Western Kentucky was going to win the game and that we were going to fire our head coach. But did I expect Western Kentucky to get up 45-7? to seven? Did I expect Arkansas and Chad Morris trying to save his job by punching in two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to go over the total of 53? No, I didn't expect that at all. So, you know, Chad Morris is out of a job and I'm out of money in the pocketbook. That's just how it goes. This is for you Texas people. I took Texas. I love Texas. And you know what? I would take that number all over again. And I know that it didn't cover, but if you did not watch the game, Texas got down 14-0 real quick. But from then on, Texas was able to just win the rest of the game. I mean, they just overpowered them in the trench. Ellinger ran, gained first downs like I thought he would. Maybe there was some rust there in the first couple drives. But at one point, it was 24-14. to There was a kickoff return for a touchdown. And for those of you that weren't watching the actual game that you just wanted to call in and bitch about Texas, they actually ran it in for a touchdown to make it at least a push in that game, to at least win the game by seven points. On the very last play of the game, or at least before the penalty, Ellinger lined up, ran off tackle right, scored a touchdown. Would have been good. At least we would have got most of us a push. For those of us that got five and a half like I did, it would have been a win. Instead, one of the Texas offensive linemen or people in the formation had their fat ass back in the field, and it was a legal formation. Too many men in the backfield, not enough men on the line of scrimmage. Because of that, Sam Ellinger lines it up in between the hashes with his next rush attempt. Dicker, the kicker, comes in. Texas wins by three. And, you know, we don't cover. Even though there was you know, Kansas State kickoff return for a TD, they got that cover. So, you know, good for you. You took Kansas State, covered that game. Good for you. They still have major issues containing rush explosiveness. That didn't change. Uh, they caught Texas, I think, asleep at the wheel the first two or three jibes. I mean, that wasn't the only bad thing. I mean, we had Northwestern in the round-robin parlay. I had Northwestern. Yeah, but I took Northwestern plus one. I took Northwestern plus one before it got to Northwestern minus two. And they lost on a last-second field goal to Purdue, led by the four-string quarterback, who's a walk-on quarterback. So, I mean, if the day couldn't have gotten any worse from there, and there were some bad ones, Southern Cal and Arizona State scored 35 points in the first quarter. Kanan Slovis came in and just threw all over the Arizona State defense. To end that game, there was a terrible, a horrible roughing the passer call at the end of the game, I think under five minutes, where USC had intercepted the ball in the end zone. They would have ran it out, taken a knee. They needed about one or one or two first downs. The game would have been over. The game would have went under. But instead, it was one of the worst roughing the passer calls I've ever seen. Clay Helton lost his mind. I thought fire was going to shoot out of his head. 
They call it roughing the passer. Of course, Arizona State goes down. At least I pushed on all my 57s. I know some people took some 56s. I believe I talked about only 56, which took a dive down to 54. So much for closing line value, it doesn't matter. You know, 35 points the first quarter between USC and Arizona State really surprised me, considering Jaden Daniels didn't even play. Arizona State's quarterback wasn't even there. Didn't get any better from there. Put NC State on the app. Nice enough to uh, get that 35 in. Been waiting on that NC State 35 because I lined it 28 and a half. And listen, I was in one of the books in Las Vegas and I was sitting with some pretty sharp people and some people that have some heavy action in this market, at least a little bit more action than what I put into the market. They power rated this game 28 and a half, 29 also. I'm not a big fan of NC State. I don't think they're that great. But at some point, you know, I understand having to pay a heavy tax for going against Clemson. But, you know, at the same time, the number was just too high, especially at 35 at a key number. And he said, well, I saw the final score. That wasn't even close. NC State got to the Clemson 9. They couldn't punch it in for the cover. Tamari Hines fumbled a punt with three minutes left that sat up the last Clemson score. So trust me, it was a lot closer than what the naked eye saw in that game. You want to talk about Kentucky? You want to talk about my, me being beat with Kentucky last night? Kentucky had an INT and two turnovers on downs in Tennessee territory. They got to the Vols' one-yard line. Couldn't score. So, you know, Kentucky under the total, I think that we were suggesting before the season, plenty of money on under six and a half, you know, I mean, that's still alive, but they had two turnovers on downs in Tennessee territory. So not a good night for the Wildcats. Best call. We usually do best call, worst call on the podcast. I mean, no one wants to hear about best calls. Usually they like to hear about the bad stuff. I'm not going to sit here and pat myself on the back and say how great I did. But I will say that all I could preach the entire week from the second alliance came out was LSU going over the total. I projected at 69. It went way over that. So maybe that's a worse call. But I mean, I had no problems putting in as much money as I could get down on openers on the LSU over. There was a real thought during the week that the rock was going to be pounded by Alabama. The rock was going to be pounded by LSU. There was a narrative out there to keep Tua healthy that Alabama would try to run the ball. It was obvious to me from the very beginning, no matter how stiff Tua was, they were going to throw the ball. They were going to get it out to the playmakers on the outside. There were so many points scored. I know, I know that there were some, you know, some long plays from scrimmage, some special teams involved. But, I mean, there was no – without a doubt, I think six of the last drives ended in a touchdown. And that's where I really would maybe put in a, a bet regret, which is I did what I said I was going to do. Once the total got up high enough, I would take a little bit of off the four units that I hit on opener on the over – and I would put a little in on the under. And once it got up to around the 70 mark, I decided to put in a little money on the under. Well, little did I know that Alabama and LSU were going to score six touchdowns out of the last seven drives in the game. Amazing. But I think we kind of talked for a long time about how LSU-Alabama is the new Big 12, and that's just the kind of game that they're going to play. Should be interesting to watch. Keep an eye on keep an eye on Georgia. Specifically, keep an eye on Georgia against Auburn this week. I think there's a lot of injuries there that a lot of people don't know about, especially, you know, Cager going down on the outside as a wide receiver. Georgia's center got nicked up. Georgia's backup center got nicked up. And listen, you're handicapping NFL, you're handicapping college football. You got a brand new center in there, especially a third string one. That's something to worry about. I don't care who plays where and what, even on defense. You got an offense that's sporting around a third string center, that's not good. So keep your eyes on the Georgia Bulldogs this week. The market really didn't do anything today. Opened up exactly where we had our projections out early this morning. If you haven't read that piece, you can go to the Action Network, go to the NCAAF tab, uh, and you'll be able to see the projected uh, sides that I have for Week 12 football. Georgia specifically opened up at uh, Circa and then everywhere else where we had it projected. 
But keep an eye on the injuries because, I mean, with Cager out on the outside, don't know where Jake Fromm's going to throw. You know, the Auburn defense is just nasty on the front seven, so obviously Georgia's going to have to get the ball deep. So, you know, it's really important also on the center and the backup center. I, you know, I'm not sure I really want to lay money on Georgia since I have a whole bunch of futures on Georgia winning the national title. Obviously, they can't win a national title with two losses here. So it'll be something I'll definitely be watching for. And if I feel like I need to put something in on Auburn to hedge a little bit out of the Georgia national championship, I definitely didn't want to do it this early. But if the writing is on the wall that the front seven is going to eat up uh, the interior linemen of Georgia, then we're going to have to do it. So we'll see what happens there. And now, box score frauds. Box score frauds. I love it. So some of these are just like, you know, teams that won that shouldn't have won. Statistical stuff in the box scores that I noticed that probably uh, should be talked about. Listen, Central Florida outgained Tulsa by 100 yards on the same number of plays. Seth Boomer, pride and joy of Claremore, Oklahoma, close to where I actually live. Uh, Seth Boomer comes in for a hurt Zach Smith. He goes 6 of 10, 87 yards and a TD. Dylan Gabriel with two INTs. I mean, good for Tulsa, but what is it with this kid? Dylan Gabriel gets in against Cincinnati, INTs. Gets in against Tulsa, INTs. I still don't understand for the life of me why Daryl Mack Jr. is not playing more. He's there in fourth yardage situations. Sometimes he gets some red zone situations. I thought he was great in the Fiesta Bowl against LSU. And speaking of you guys telling us that we didn't like LSU, you know, listen, I came around to LSU last year, all right? They were my nemesis for about 10 or 11 weeks. And the, the switch flipped on and Backing them all the way to beat UCF, covered the spread last year, even with LSU missing half their defense in that bowl game last year. So I've been an LSU supporter for quite a while. But in this instance, US, you know, Central Florida taking a loss really relegates them to like a bad boy mower status. I mean, they're not going to be playing in New Year's Six. Can't remember the last time. I mean, they were 0-12 under Scott Frost, and then they just rocket shipped themselves up to New York Six Bowls. So it should be interesting to see where they fall or where their motivation factor is coming in. Minnesota with 50 less yards. Uh, Penn State had three interceptions in the last one to seal the game. I mean, great job by Minnesota's defense, especially the secondary that's coached by the main Black Bears old head coach last year. He's now the secondary coach in Minnesota. He's done a great job. I mean, every pass that was thrown up by Sean Clifford had some hands up by Minnesota. You can tell that they are very properly coached. They know exactly when to try to cause disruption and passes defensed. Passes defensed are so important to the Havoc stat. Minnesota's got it. No, I mean, they're not the most perfect team in the world. We're going to see what they're made of this week. I know there was a really large debate between me and most of my friends last night sitting in the book here in Las Vegas. I said, listen, I got Iowa minus three and a half. Iowa minus three and a half against Minnesota. That seems crazy. Absolutely batshit crazy. But I, it was confirmed today. And I mean, I even read SP Plus this morning in Minnesota. I believe SP Plus had Minnesota minus two. And I had, you know, Iowa minus three and a half. This is before any bookmaker opened up any numbers. Circa opens it up, Iowa minus three and a half. So, you know, I expect to see action all on Minnesota in this game. All on Minnesota. I mean, you can't win a game like that, have the public see it. And, you know, just kind of forget about Iowa. It's easy to forget about Iowa, even though they gave, you know, Wisconsin a ton of trouble, a ton of trouble. So as I'm looking at this, the game is just sitting three. This is, you know, cutting this really late Sunday night. I think it's going to sit at three all week. And uh, I think Minnesota getting points eventually at some point. I think the number will move to SP plus to what is Minnesota minus two. So if you like Minnesota, you may want to get them now at plus three. If you like Iowa, I'd probably wait. I don't think it's ever going to get to three and a half. That would probably get way too much Minnesota money. We'll cover this much more on, on Thursday's podcast, but this is a spot for Minnesota. And if you're holding Wisconsin futures like I am, you need this loss. 
against Iowa pretty bad. Uh, that'll set up Wisconsin to, to possibly take control of the division. But starts here. We'll see Minnesota's going to feel the pressure, being undefeated, going on the road against Kinnick. The only problem is game's at 3 o'clock in the central time zone. I just wish this game was in Kinnick at night. It won't be. Moving on, some of my other notes I had, West Virginia had 70 more yards than Texas Tech in the same number of plays, but they were a victim to four turnovers, two of them being interceptions. I lost a little bit of money on West Virginia thanks to the turnovers. Miami benefited from three Louisville turnovers. I know I think there were some people out there that had Louisville really liked them to kind of upset this week. Listen, my handicap of Louisville is, you know, they can, they can run the ball. They're good in rush explosiveness. They're good in, you know, rushing success rate. You go up against a defense, and I don't care if – Miami was off some sort of earth-shattering performance against Florida State. They got Willie Taggart fired. A rush defense is a rush defense. They don't usually take breaks. Offenses take breaks. Defenses like that don't usually take breaks. Louisville, not able to capitalize. Listen, they're really well coached by Scott Satterfield, so I, I don't see any reason why they won't bounce back, but it just wasn't for them in Miami. Michigan State had 526 yards against Illinois, firmly in control of that game. The ending was wild. Four turnovers. Illinois scored 27 points in the fourth quarter. In that comeback, 27 points in the fourth quarter. What, what makes that even crazier? They had 36 total rushing yards. And think about that. We're going to get this Illinois team maybe in the Music City Bowl, maybe in the Pinstripe Bowl. It's going to be one of the greatest things ever. So, you know, just a short four weeks ago, I was getting chastised for taking Illinois against teams like Michigan. But now, you know, everybody – and I'm telling you this too. Everybody in the book, Sportsbook, was an Illinois fan. Craziest thing I've ever seen. Mentioned Kentucky before. You know, they had their interception, two turnovers on downs against Tennessee. Uh, we'll see where their head is at after this game, but good for Tennessee. Some other notes, not really necessarily box score frauds. Alabama started fumble, fumble, punt, downs with a punt return TD mixed in. It was just a very, very poor offensive start for Alabama. You know, Alabama last four drives were a TD. That's not how they started. Tua looked hurt. He looked stiff. And his throwing was off. He was behind receivers. He was in front of receivers. He was too low on receivers. So I think Tua just looked, you know, at least for the first half, he, he just looked like the, he just wasn't in sync with the wide receivers. You know, sometimes there were some routes that weren't there for him. I think we can only, you know, give that to, you know, the time that he was laid off and probably not practicing with his, with his skill positions. Sam Sloman hit a 53-yard field goal to give Miami of Ohio a division lead. It's crazy. Yes, our Ohio futures to win the East. I think we had a unit on that at the beginning of the season during the summer. That is probably gone. They started the game with an 11-play drive that ended uh, in, a, in a red zone fumble. And the next drive, they missed a field goal. You can't drive it all the way down the field, have a red zone fumble, and then miss a field goal in the next one. You're just not going to win ballgames doing that. So good for Miami of Ohio. Uh, not sure how legit and how real they are. You know, just like I said in the handicap leading up to last week, they got beat 76 to 5 by Ohio State. It's going to be hard to sort out. If you're sorting through their advanced stats, try to take out, try to take out non-conference play. They've had a brutal non-conference schedule. Take them out, compare them up against the Mac, and that'll give you a better idea of how Miami of Ohio is doing. Old Naylor's awareness month continues. East Carolina just keeps scoring points. Not winning any ball games, but East Carolina went for 644 total yards. Not going to fade them again. I mean, uh, you know, SMU couldn't, couldn't win by 21. I'm not sure anybody in that uh, conference can win by 21 when it's Holton Ehlers Awareness Month. That's all he does is produce in November. Oklahoma had two turnovers in their own territory. Uh, not a good night for the Sooners whatsoever. A game that was just eerily similar to Kansas State. Just kind of playing around, letting them hang back, and boom, something happens. And Brock Purdy made it happen. But 
you know, like we said there at the end, two turnovers in your own territory, you know, that that's not going to help you win any ball games, which they almost lost and got knocked out of the college football playoff for good, which if they're not already. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Let's move on to the NFL. I, I think one of the best things that we like to talk about is buy low, sell high. If you don't know what buy low, sell high is, it's usually a thing where we look at a team that lost and didn't cover, and we want to look at them next week against a team that won and did cover. And I think the idea is that the market perception on the team that just lost and didn't cover is going to be pretty low going up against a team that just did win and did cover. You know, that generally creates some sort of value in the point spread. But here are the buy low, sell high candidates for NFL next week. You know, on Thursday night, I mean, the Browns are off of a win. They won by three, and they're off of a push, deciding on what number you got. They're taking on the Steelers that have won four straight. By the way, in case you didn't know, this is Bedlam. Mason Rudolph taking on Baker Mayfield? This is Bedlam. This is OU and Oklahoma State. I think for that matter alone, you should take it over on Thursday night. But buy low, sell high opportunity kind of favors the Browns in this one. Uh, Steelers won four straight, covered three straight. Uh, covered for me today while I was at Circa trying to get four and a half out of them. So Steelers have been good to us. Carolina lost, didn't cover against Green Bay and what was some beautiful snow in the second half there. You know, the Falcons won as a 14-point dog. It's the Saints. How did that happen? That makes no sense whatsoever, but Carolina is definitely in a buy low, sell high spot as they go up against the Falcons. You know, Carolina outgained Green Bay and they had two turnovers in the game. I mean, they absolutely should have been in that game, covered and won. That'll be a good spot for Panthers. The Redskins lost to Buffalo on November 3rd, so they'll be off of a bye week. And the Jets just won off the Giants. Good buy low, sell high opportunity for the Redskins. Same goes for the Bills. They're off of a loss. I think they pushed against the spread. They're going up against the red-hot Miami Dolphins, uh, who have been outgained in total yards the last two games. So not everything is as great as it seems with the Dolphins, but they have won two straight. Sweeping aside all that talk about whether Alabama could actually beat the Dolphins what you would, and what the point spread would be. New England is in a buy low, sell high. Is that even possible? Well, they did take their last loss, didn't cover to the Ravens. Put, you know, perception maybe down on them a little bit. Going up against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are off two straight wins. Uh, I would love for Philadelphia to get a win out of this game. I know that I keep continuing to buy the Eagles week by week by week to win their division. You know, the Dallas loss only helps Philly's cause. We'll see what they can do against New England. Uh, the Bengals haven't covered since October 13th. Uh, Oakland has covered three straight. It's definitely a buy low, sell high for Cincinnati, but buy is a is a word I guess you know we should use lightly here. Uh, Rams, you know, took a loss to Pittsburgh today. Thank you, appreciated that, needed it, and they're going to be in a buy low, sell high opportunity against the Bears, who got a win today over Detroit. Why wait for the weekend? Strap in your fun belts and get ready for Maction. It's Midweek Madness. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and talk about some Midweek Maction. Uh, we have a full slate Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Let's start off with Tuesday's slate. And I think the big thing that everybody needs to realize about Tuesday's games that are both happening in the MAC is that there is some heavy snow forecasted in the area. Akron hasn't won a game yet this season. 
covered a game this season. Uh, 0-9 going up against Eastern Michigan, 4-5. Eastern Michigan really has to get this to stay in bowl contention. Uh, you know, not an easy schedule for them to, to end the rest of the season. Uh, but this game has a lot of snow. I'm looking at 28 degrees. I project this game Akron plus 18 and a half with a, with a total of 42. Circa's got it open at 17. That thing did open 14 and a half. It's taking some steam all the way up to 17, sitting tight. Nobody really going over to the 17 and a half mark. A total open at Circa at 49. By the time you listen to this, totals will probably be hitting the market uh, everywhere at a, at a sportsbook near you on Monday afternoon. But as of right now, Circa's got it opened at 49. So that's definitely higher than the projection that I got at 42. And there's going to be some weather involved. And I write about this in the totals piece. It's going to come out on the Action Network today. Just because there's bad weather doesn't mean that there's not going to be a whole bunch of points. Now, I can understand like a downpour and rain and a slop fest in the mud. But when you're playing on turf and there's snow, I'm not really sure there's a difference. Toledo and Kent had a massive like 13-point swing on the over-under last year because there was projected ice storms. Uh, It was supposed to be dangerous, don't come to the game, but we're going to play the game. But fans, please don't come to the game. Ice all over the field. Those teams went on to combine for 90 points. It was probably one of the worst beats worst calls I've ever had in my life is it tells somebody to take an under in the 50s ice storm comes in and the game ends at 90 so don't let weather deter you so much more focus on the wind although I'm not even sure if wind is a matter if anybody saw that Georgia Southern kick on Halloween night a 51 yarder in weather in Boone North Carolina that was somewhere around 60 degrees uh, so you know just keep an eye on the weather as far as Zachary goes, I'm not really sure they can score points. I've got the number dead on. Uh, I got the total a lot less. I got the total about a touchdown less uh, than 49. So we'll see where that goes when it opens up Mark and Wyatt. I do lean to the under, even if there is a whole bunch of snow uh, and really cold weather. I would probably look at the under. There's going to be a full write-up on Action Network, so you guys can check that out on Tuesday before these games. Western Michigan is going to go on against uh, Ohio on the Sunday morning column that we put out at Action Network. I made it Ohio minus one. Circa has it. Ohio minus one. There are a couple books that have actually flipped the favorite over to Western Michigan minus one would indicate, you know, there has been some action. I can see that now there has been some action coming at Western Michigan. So where are they at right now? So Ohio lost to Miami of Ohio, which means over in the Mac East division, they're going to have a hard time catching Miami of Ohio. Uh, They would need uh, the Red Hawks to actually lose two games uh, for Ohio to get back into it. Not very likely. Western Michigan's in the thick of it over in the West in a tiebreaker with three other teams with two losses. Western Michigan, Central Michigan, Ball State, Toledo all have two loss on the West side. So yeah, basically, if you're in the MAC, uh, you're in the running to make the MAC championship, unless your name is Akron. I think the key stat in this game is that, you know, Ohio has an established, you know, rush attack with Nathan Rourke and the running backs. Uh, they're 14th in the nation in rushing success rate. Western Michigan, not very good on defense in rushing success rates for opponents. They rank 100th. Uh, but then again, same can be said for what everything Western Michigan does on offense. They're going to be able to take advantage of Ohio in a number of areas, rush explosiveness. Uh, Western Michigan is third in the nation in that stat. And then Havoc allowed is actually pretty good for both teams. So don't expect a lot of turnovers. Western Michigan is going to get it done with the explosiveness factor on the ground. While Ohio is going to be able to move the chains, they're going to have a lot of rushing success rate. They're not very explosive, but they can move the chains. Uh, it definitely is a dead-even matchup. 
I would favor Western Michigan, the one that has the more, uh, I would say, explosive offense to go along, especially on the ground, and they can definitely pass better than Ohio can. Uh, so keep an eye on that, especially the weather here. I don't think it's supposed to snow. The snow is supposed to let up, but there's going to be some pretty big winds there, so that would be something to check out. Tuesday, just keep it in mind. Tuesday night, action, weather, big-time weather. Pay attention to that before you place any bets. As far as Bowling Green, Miami, Miami of Ohio, Miami of Ohio has to win this game. I mean, if they want to stay in the lead of their division, uh, they're going to have to get the win here. And so, you know, they're going to have to pick on, you know, some of the aspects that Bowling Green is worst at. I mean, Bowling Green is 124th in opponent rush explosiveness, 125th in opponent passing success rate. So that'll be something to look out for Miami of Ohio here. It's a game where I line Miami of Ohio, 19 and a half. The number is at 18 and a half, sitting in a a neutral area. Uh, I mean, everything should favor Miami. No real weather here to speak of, but, you know, I mean, I think this is something where if I've got it lined at 19 and a half and it's at 18 and a half, I'd probably favor Bowling Green anywhere 20 and above. I wouldn't want to touch Miami of Ohio until it got down to 17 or better. You know, keep an eye on that. The total that came out was 49 and a half. Uh, I do have a little bit less. You'll check out the article on Action Network. Uh, So I do actually like the under in this game. So we'll see uh, how weather and uh, how everything else lines up. I think the side's pretty close. Northern Illinois and Toledo. Uh, the one thing I know, if you're going to go up against Toledo, you better bring a rush defense because they definitely have some guys that can run the ball, proven by the fact that Toledo is eighth in the country in rushing explosiveness. That is going to absolutely be on full display against Northern Illinois, who is 123rd in the nation in opponent rush explosiveness. So it's kind of like the best thing Toledo does on offense on the ground is the worst thing Northern Illinois does on defense. Uh, so, for, I mean, for that point right there, I really like Toledo in this game. Uh, they've opened up at minus three. Still sitting minus three right now. We power rate this game at Action Network at minus three. It's not completely off of uh, the projection that we have. I do like this game. We'll see if I'll take action here in the next 24 hours or so before uh, this game will kick off. But I do like Toledo with what they can do on the ground offensively. The next game is Buffalo and Kent. I do line this Kent minus two. I was actually pretty impressed with Kent's ability to get back into the game. They do have an offense that, uh, you know, they try to go up speed with Sean Lewis. And that really should, you know, go against Buffalo and kind of the speed that they're playing under Lance Leopold. I have this game power rated much differently than what's out there. I say Kent State minus two. Uh, Currently, it's up there at at, uh, Kent minus five. Yeah, so the number opened up minus one and a half at Circus Sports. That thing has steamed all the way up to five. So early betters really like Buffalo in this game. And, I mean, there could be a reason for that. Buffalo's defense – you know, top 30 in r- opponent rushing success rate, top 30 in opponent passing success rate. Uh, there's not a lot of things that Kent State does on offense that's necessarily good. They do have a very good uh, rushing explosiveness rank, but that's something that Buffalo's defense can take care of. And, of course, Kent State is <laughs> in the bottom 10 in all of FBS and Havoc, Havoc allowed. Uh, that's going to be hard for them, so I can kind of see why Buffalo took some steam today. And the last one we'll talk about is going to be UNC and Pitt. Uh, you guys know I've been a fan of Pitt. The entire season, that number opened up at four and a half. I've got it at five and a half. Uh, to a couple books, it's steamed up to five and a half, including Circus Sports in Las Vegas. Uh, I'm not sure if this thing is completely done going up. It looks like it's taken plenty of North Carolina love here in the early market as I'm looking at it. And if I had to look specifically, you know, Pittsburgh's number one in the nation in opponent passing success rate. You're not going to be able to throw the ball against Pittsburgh's defense. They've proven that time and time again. Uh, they have some pretty good defensive ranks as far as rushing success rate, opposing rushing explosiveness. And that's something that North Carolina just can't expose. I mean, North Carolina's big thing is their passing explosiveness with Sam Howe. I just think that's something that Pittsburgh's going to be able to stop and take advantage of. Pittsburgh's third in the country in defensive havoc. 
So definitely something to watch against Sam Howell uh, and the rest of the staff for UNC. You know, the number is right where I power rated it, so I'm not necessarily going to be looking to back pit on a dead number like five and a half. But, you know, to me right now, you know, looking at this on Sunday night, it is the side. I've also got the game uh, total set at over 50. So that looks like it could be a play coming in either on the over, you know, could be playing on Pittsburgh flat out. But uh, that, that's the way I would look here early in the market. The two Friday games, Louisiana Tech and Marshall, Fresno State, San Diego State, those will be covered on the Thursday podcast. As far as the college football playoff ranking, uh, you know, it's going to be moved around. I think the biggest thing that we can look for on Tuesday night is where is Alabama's relationship to Utah and Oregon and Oklahoma? Those are the potential one-loss teams and conference champions that Alabama would have to hop in the very end. I think three of the spots are pretty much sealed up, assuming LSU could beat Georgia in the SEC championship, and that would include Ohio State and Clemson. So I think it's important to watch this week to see where Alabama is in relationship to those one-loss potential conference champions. That'll do it for us. Check out everything on the Action Network this week. We'll have our Havoc ratings updated. We'll have some over-under total projections. Of course, I'll have my early bets in. Call them at the end of the week for all of you to continue to love, and we'll catch you on Thursday. Peace out.